in a constantly changing world. Today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Welcome, and here's a question for you. How much is enough? Enough of what, I hear you ask? Well, empathy. Can you give too much empathy as a leader? And if so, what are the consequences? Well, I'm delighted and excited that one of my favorite people is with us today, and that's Tracy Groves. Tracy is a former partner of PwC. She's currently the CEO of Intelligent Ethics. She was the winner of the Grant Thornton and Financial Times Women in Business Award in 2019. And currently she advises boards and leaders how to think differently about their leadership, their culture, and their corporate integrity. This episode's gonna be magnificent, no pressure. How are you and welcome, Tracy Groves. Good morning, Adam. I'm very well, thank you. So delighted we've now got you on the Leadership Enigma. So tell me a little bit about the title of this episode. How much is enough? I think that's a fabulous question to pose ourselves when it comes to talking about empathy. There is so much out there at the moment about how empathy is a positive leadership skill, about how it moves beyond engaging others at a transactional level and seeks to connect and understand others emotionally and with feeling. But actually, we need to be really smart about how we use empathy. We need to be skillful and we need to think about how we calibrate our use of it in a way so it's a force for good. Tracy, do you think people get confused about what empathy is in the first place? Yeah, I think they uh, look at empathy as being something which is touchy-feely about the ability to be cuddly and emotional, but it's not that. It's about building trust. It's about creating a shared experience that can push boundaries of what you and I would normally talk about in terms of workplace relationships. And bear in mind, you've done so much work with leaders and organisations across sectors and geographies. What are some of the things that you've seen that have made this such an important subject matter? What have you seen in the workplace with empathy going well or going badly? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, Adam. I do think empathy is a good thing. (laughs) So, you know, it has so many... We'll start with that one then. Empathy is a good thing. Uh, Empathy is a good thing. There are lots of positive attributes about empathy. Shall I name them for you? Please. Yeah, so things such as it increases uh, your emotional intelligence and your self-esteem. It increases life satisfaction. If you have high levels of empathy you are generally tending to have larger and more fulfilling social networks. You are, have great fulfilling relationships. You volunteer more readily. You are actually uh, more likely to step in and interact and, and constructively intervene. So there are lots of positives about empathy, but let me just think about the downsides of it as well, which okay. is, do you know what, Adam? It's quite exhausting. <laughs> I don't think many people will admit this actually. Empathy is quite depleting. Um, It takes a heavy cognitive capacity to be able to exert empathy. So anything where you are constantly thinking about others and putting yourself in others' shoes all of the time, it can be very compassion fatiguing, I think, in terms of its ability to always 
we wanting to offer and to give and to share. Do you think leaders can build the muscle, though, in relation to empathy? Because you talked about how it benefits uh, emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And we know that some leaders struggle with that. And there's even been some suggestion that some of the best leaders we've had had absolutely zero emotional intelligence or self-awareness. But that's a story for another day. So is this something that leaders can do in order to dial it up or get better at it? Yeah, I think this muscle piece about getting acquiring the habit is a really good one to think about because the thing is around empathy is the more you use it, the more you practice it, the more comfortable you'll feel with it. But actually going back to my opening point, which is about using it with skill, let's be much more vigilant about the fact that empathy can actually erode ethics. So obviously, you know me, passionate about ethics, can talk yes. about when the cows come home. But actually, do you know what? Eth you know, being empathetic can actually erode and causes lapses in ethical judgment. And this isn't just me saying it, Adam. There's a lot of research that's gone into this by cognitive scientists and psychologists that actually empathy can distort our judgment. Now, I'm gonna, I know you're going to ask me next to give me some examples, aren't you? I, well, you know me well. <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> well... For example, Adam, just the fact that actually, you know, being in tune with each other by being part of that in-group, by cognitively associating myself with you through empathy, I am therefore narrowing down my boundaries around diversity. I am already instinctively seeking out people who sound and look and, and experience life like I do. Okay. So actually too much empathy can start to create this very narrow lack of diversity, lack of difference world, which we're fighting so hard to create. So have organisations, do you think, used empathy or unwittingly when they've started to recruit in their own image? Yes, they probably have done it. They may have not called it empathy. Uh, they've, they've probably looked to and sought to mirror uh, images of themselves. They've also looked to think about how um, they're seeking to help people because empathy can actually, people are more likely to, let's say, bend the rules or violate policies and procedures when they think it's serving another person. So in various settings, when it's either financial or even reputational benefits, people use this as a, as a, as a kind of altruism to say, oh, it's okay, therefore, to rationalise the fact that I'm not following policy and procedure because I'm helping this other person out. And they could have called that, by mistake, empathy. Right. So in some ways, people become very, very aligned to each other, with each other, same set of beliefs. Absolutely. And the psychologists call this, Adam, ethical fading. Um, it occurs when actually you, you are looking at all the other manifestations of why this is a good decision to make and the ethical values around equality, fairness, you know, am I being honest with myself? Am I being true to who we are, what we stand for, tends to disappear from view. When we talk about ethical fading, what is it that the new leader or even the experienced leader should look out for in order to try and ensure their success? My experience is, Adam, that leaders really need to be far more vigilant about the context and the conditions that are being experienced, not just by themselves, but other people as well. Okay. So I would really encourage to be far more cognizant about the impact of what they're doing and how they're doing it. So I'm asking leaders here to increase their self-awareness about their own personal bias uh, and their own default responses, in effect. So how does someone try and work out what those are? What are their personal biases and default responses? 
So there may be a situation whereby, as a leader, we will automatically seek to come to a solution and an answer, as opposed to wanting to collaborate and wanting to co-create something. There's this sense, especially in a time of pressure and uncertainty, for leaders to act with decision, even with preciseness, um, and to quickly think about what is the right thing to do. Whereas actually, where I'm looking in a very intuitive and authentic use of empathy, what I'm looking for is a humility in a leader to be able to say, I may not know what the right answer is. So let me think about how I can work with others to co-create what the solution could be. Um, and this is about creating this emotional connection. That's what I mean by a good, skillful sense of empathy, by seeking out different perspectives, different points of view, and wanting to think about how we can use other experiences and other insights to build a better future or a better solution. So this, this requires a sense of courage, doesn't it, from the leader? It requires a real sense of courage. It requires a sense of vulnerability. And you and I have talked about vulnerability before, haven't we? We have. <laughs> this, this ability to let one's guard down and recognise that actually we may not know all the answers and free ourselves up from this stereotypically uh, created role that we have developed for ourselves as the leader being the expert. Wanting to be far more vulnerable and saying, actually, let's think about what the future could look like. Let's think about how we could adapt and shift to create something that's even better than what we've got now. And that's where I keep on going back to the self-awareness piece. That requires real skill and knowledge of the context to know whether or not that's appropriate. Now, you, you mentioned the category of leader there, which I just want to dwell on for a little bit. And that's the leader that has to lead the expert. They are leading very, very able, very, very smart and very, very experienced people who just know more than them. You've just triggered a thought in my mind, Adam, which is around the form of formal authority versus moral authority. Okay. Uh, something which, yeah, it, it's, it's, it fascinates me, which is in the past, and I think in leaders that we have created, we've looked at them with formal authority, whether that's through their knowledge, their level of expertise, their status, their mm -hmm. power, and levels of control. Right. I would argue that is not enough anymore. We are far more looking for leaders to what I have called moral authority, riches around the ability to influence, to inspire, to empower. So this isn't necessarily about having all of the knowledge or all of the answers. Moral authority is not about moralizing, it's not about being holier than now. It's about the ability to apply a set of values and principles to enable, to bring out the best in others. Um, and that's really where I, where I think empathy can be so powerful. It's such a compelling thing for leaders to have, but it must be combined with a constructive action to have real impact and tangible effect. So do you think there are people going through their careers? I mean, you went through an accountancy career, I went through a legal career, where we have to leverage our, our expertise and our qualifications for a while. That's all we've got. And as we slowly progress up the ranks or we just get older and wiser, we suddenly need to understand that it's not just about the technical expertise, our abilities and our skill set. We've actually got to widen things in relation to, as you say, having that moral leadership, having that empathetic leadership and having that authenticity, which perhaps when I was a 22 year old, I had none of it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. If I think back to me, the 22-year-old, I, I sometimes I shudder. <laughs> I, I can't doubt the energy and enthusiasm was there, but uh, it was rather clumsy at times, Adam, if I must admit. Uh, all good intentions, but not really thinking through the consequences of my actions. 
not really considering how I was making others feel. And, and to be honest, if I look back, um, actually the world was centered about how I could progress, how I, how I could move on, how I could develop my skills and my expertise in order to allow me to grow uh, and develop. And actually, where did others fit into that picture is the question I would ask myself now. What I would really encourage leaders to do is to use empathy with reason. So what I mean by that is the ability to have rational decision making focused around that empathetic sense of humanity. Because that's what it's really at its heart, isn't it? It's our ability to be human, to connect and to transform lives by sharing experiences. But there has to be a path out of it. There has to be a constructive way that we can move on. So if I don't see that happening, if I can see leaders being stuck in this constant sense of empathy conversations, whereby people are just left thinking, well, so what? <laughs> What's gonna happen now? We okay. know that actually we're in paralysis mode. So in some ways you're talking about how someone can, can calibrate the empathy that they they give the empathy that they receive or, or what they're able to do with it is, is that right is that what we're talking about here calibrating it is talking about calibrating it's talking about balance it's talking about sometimes actually we may not need any empathy you know there are times when actually leaders need a sense of clarity direction and purpose it's being done in honesty with transparency it's underpinned with a sense of human compassion and mm -hmm. an ability to connect but empathy is not the overriding emotion here what is coming through is this sense of purpose this sense of knowing exactly what direction we're moving and we may not know what the answer is but we're moving together towards what that answer could be and at that point in time I would be calibrating and dialing the empathy potentially down to very very low you know in my mind and I know we're doing a podcast so maybe that's why I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking of a graphic equalizer dialing up dialing down it's back to that kind of leadership term which is being used an awful lot at the moment agility isn't it um, and it's about and that again needs the self-confidence to know when it's up too high when it's down too low thinking about do I need to turn up the volume on it but also thinking about if I do do that am I looking out for where I know I've turned up too high so it's constantly being alert is what I call this vigilance piece it's constantly being on the alert to be able to say where do I need to keep on shifting and turning this dial up and down, knowing that what might be right today may not be right tomorrow. So Tracy, we hear a lot about agile at the moment, and that seems to be a little bit of a leadership buzz phrase. But help us, how do we link, if at all, empathy with agility? I think the two are inherently interlinked, Adam, actually, because it's actually all about agility. It's about our ability to know how to be ambidextrous and our ability to, at one point, not be empathetic, to provide much more direction and clarity and purpose. And the other side, if there could be the context whereby I actually need to dial up the empathy and be far more emotionally connected and actually... The purpose is there, but I'm doing it with a sense of humanity and overriding compassion. So it's this spectrum uh, and this courage and agility to be able to move along that spectrum at any point in time, turning it up or turning it down, takes effort, as we said right at the very beginning, about it's exhausting, this constant awareness and constant vigilance. Now, you use the term ambidextrous yes. uh, as you were just describing that. So just help any of the listeners understand what we mean by ambidextrous in, in that context. Because you and I have been on the same leadership program where I know we've used that <laughs> term uh, and I like it very much. But just, just help them understand what we mean by ambidextrous. 
for me, it's about this ability to not only be fully cognizant of where we are here and now, to be able to unlock talent, exploit the present, make sure that we're being the best that we can be right now using the skills, you know, the, the talent that we have at our fingertips. So in the moment. Yeah, the in the moment, optimizing the current tense. But at the same time, being able to think about the so what? Where is it going to take us? How can we push and challenge the boundaries for the future? So this ambidexterity is about not only uh, being able to take advantage and optimise the here and now, but actually give ourselves the opportunity to think about how we can explore and experiment and improvise and move us out of the present into the future. So it's constantly about performance improvement. That's what ambidexterity is at its heart. Thinking about we're doing what we're doing now, but how can we make it even better? How can we build on it? How can we incrementally learn from this so that we can actually create new things and push frontiers of what we could be do, achieving between us? That was a rather wonderful explanation of ambidexterity in that context. So I thank <laughs> you for that. Um, now, I want to go back to something that you mentioned at the start, because I think it's so important, where you talked about empathy having an impact and perhaps not a good impact on decision making and ethics. Yeah, so I mentioned the fact that being too empathetic means that we can show that people are more inclined to violate policies or procedures when it comes to serving another person. That's what we right. mean by ethical fading. So we are actually rationalizing our behavior or our decision because we are looking to serve other purposes rather than the ethical one. Um, and as I said, there's been a lot of research that's gone into this. At the end of the day, empathy is enumerate. Yeah, I think we can all agree with that. Um, and it can drive misallocation of concerns and resources. So one of the things I wanted to share with you is, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard about this, Adam, it's called the identifiable victim effect. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Tell me more. Yeah, so we use it a lot within ethics. So um, it's the effect whereby, let's just say, for example, um, a child who just so happened to be blue-eyed and blonde hair falls into a well. Uh, your experience as a human being will be to experience loads of empathy and want to spend and do everything that within your willpower to, to free the child at whatever right. cost. Okay? Okay. That, that's what we talk about, the, you know, the example here. But at the same time, you are well aware as that person watching that child fall into the well of chronic malnutrition, let's just say, um, inadequate medical insurance, uh, catastrophic climate change, which you're all experiencing, a whole raft of things which the planet is experiencing that's literally going to kill thousands of young children, just like that blue-eyed, blonde-haired child down the well. Thousands of children are going to be killed every single year. But that doesn't trigger our empathy. Why not? Because the victims, the child that we don't see, the child that not even yet been born, that's going to suffer this catastrophic climate change, cannot be readily identified. Right. That's what we call the identifiable victim effect. So therefore, the power of empathy, let me just put this into the empathetic uh, situation. Now, the power of empathy yeah. is the fact that it has a really good ability to bring our moral concern into a laser pointer of focused attention. That's what it's really good at. This identifiable victim effect is plays very much into this empathetic or empathy fading concept, which is we will actually potentially seek poor decisions and have poor moral judgment when we exercise it without due caution. Wow. Now I'm fascinated by this because <laughs> I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, for, for the CEO running a large multinational you know, global organization, you know, we talk about what is their responsibility now to humanity or the yeah. multiple communities within which they operate. 
is there something there in, in that too that one is humanity and, and one is empathy on the, the i don't know and, and actually, we, we, we are so focused on the identifiable thing, the, the here and now. It goes back to this kind of wanting to optimise the present. You know, the ambidexterity piece was so myopic in our sense of what the right thing to do is. We're losing sight and losing track of the far greater opportunity for us to think about what about everything else and everyone else on this planet and and this is um actually one of the things which is really antagonizing me at the moment mm -hmm. Adam, is that this phrase a new normal right it's being banded around for sure oh, it's it's surpassed my unprecedented use <laughs> oh that word too <laughs> that word too you know, this is not, a, you know, this is not, this is not an opportunity to just tweak what we've been doing. This is not a new normal. This is an opportunity where we're going through massive seismic shifts of how we are operating as a society and as a community and businesses across the world. This is a massive opportunity for us to really positively wipe the slate clean and do something radically different. Um, so, you know, and be not myopic at all, but be far more courageous and brave and adventurous in terms of what we should be doing and could be doing now it'll be interesting to see whether that happens because i know a lot of people thought that there would be great change after the 2008 crash yeah. so here we are chatting to each other as we are somewhat in the middle of a global pandemic so the entire world is having an experience albeit different but they're sharing the experience will there be that great change because a number of people have talked about it but will it happen or do we have short memories <laughs> Same thing happened over the night after the 9-11 um, incident, unfortunately, wasn't it? The, uh, the researchers for about six to nine months afterwards, there were far higher levels and greater levels of community spirit, a great deal of empathy yeah. uh, being uh, expressed towards each other. And then within six to nine months, things reverted back to a much more of a trans transactional commercial way of living. I mean, what I would say is that why, why should we settle for anything less is, is the question I would like to pose ourselves. Right. It's something which collectively we have to want and desire. If we don't, then it won't happen. You know, and that, that's, the, that's the number of it. So in some ways, that's a very, very powerful message for leaders and leadership generally. Inactivity is not the answer. If only that were an option, um, I would say that would be the worst option. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Yeah. So, so this is a difficult one, actually. Maybe If you had three top tips, I don't even know if this is possible, Tracy, three top tips to a leader in relation to this subject, using their empathy for good, understanding their empathy to be a better leader I'll have a go shall I have a go yeah go on have a go <laughs> okay. so use empathy but have the skill and the discipline to stand back is my first tip okay so don't get yourself too in it yeah don't be swamped and overwhelmed by it have the ability to stand back secondly mm -hmm. be objective in your use of it uh, so think about how is it landing have I got it too much? Have I got it up too low? Uh, think about how the effect is it and is it giving you the desired outcome you were looking? And then my third thing was about acting, you know, taking action as a consequence of it. So acting accordingly after exerting empathy is really important. Otherwise we get this paralysis. So three tips, skill and discipline, judging objectively and acting accordingly. Wow, now that was pretty good, because you know, I gave you no notice oh, of that one. 
Was it all right? <laughs> that, was, that was, it sounded good to me. All right. So as we finish up, let me ask you my, my rather silly questions, which I've done to many. So uh, what's your top or favorite hobby at the moment? Or just generally? I suppose one thing I, I am openly um, proud of saying that I do like my English wine. Oh, what's your favorite word? Bob. Do you say Bob? Yes. <laughs> You're going to have to help me with that one. Your favourite word is Bob. <laughs> I just love it. It's, just, it's perfect. It's, it's symmetrical. It's, it's got two letters the same. It's got a that, perfect circle in the middle of it. I think that's probably been my favourite answer in relation to that question. Bob. <laughs> favourite word. And, and what would be your best piece of advice to a 21-year-old Tracy? Oh dear, there's so much, there's, there's so much I would tell myself. Um, the thing that keeps coming to my mind is mm -hmm. there's no such word as can't. I like that. I think that's a lovely way to, uh, to round it off. Tracy, it's been fabulous having you on the Leadership Enigma. Thank you so much for taking the time and the energy and the passion for this subject matter. And I hope you'll come back to us again soon when the world is different. I didn't I say can't no wait more. till round two, Adam. Thank you very much. Take it easy. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.